Hey guys, welcome to Pardon the Disruption. Uh, I'm super excited for today's episode because I actually get to play host. That's right, I get to be judge, jury, and executioner of our four ex- uh, guests here today. Uh, we've got Leon G. Barnes, Eric Brewer, some guy named Jimmy, and Chris uh, Jefferson. <laughs> Uh, I guess we, we just went out and found some guy named Jimmy Vreeland to be in. So, uh, if you haven't been on the show before, uh, here are the rules. Uh, we're going to have six total questions. Five are pre-chosen uh, by us. The sixth question will be coming from you guys, the guests. Uh, so drop your questions in the chat. Um, if you want, you can also text us a question to 33777. Uh, please give us good questions. It can either be a follow-up of a topic that we talk about today or just something that you've got going on in your business that you want help with. Uh, each guest will have 45 seconds to answer their question, and then after everyone's gone, we'll have about two minutes to, to debate the question. Then from there, I, RJ Bates third, will lay down the law on who won each round. That's what I'm looking forward to the most, giving that feedback to everybody. So uh, we're looking forward to it. If I can't decide, which is not going to happen because I'm not Matthew Parker, I, I can definitely be decisive. I'm going to come up with a winner. But if not, if, if two answers are just so great, I'll throw it over to you guys on the poll that is run in the chat. So that being said, uh, Leon, start us off. Introduce yourself. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this show today. This is either going to be the best show ever or this is going to fall off the rails fast. My name is Leon G. Barnes. I am with the Collective Genius and excited as always uh, to be here to debate. And today we actually have a judge that is going to make a decision. How excited are we? (laughs) All right, Eric, what you got for us? What's up? My name is Eric Brewer. I'm out of South Central PA, not LA PA. Um, It's a close cousin. Me and Snoop were hanging out earlier, but um, I've uh, been teaching innovations for about two years. I've been doing them for 11 years. Uh, we did just north of 300 transactions here um, in Pennsylvania last year. Um, got my first win, I believe, last week or two weeks ago, and just realized that for the first time ever, we need a buzzer for the host because Jay's opening was 11 minutes long. Um, so, All right. uh, Eric, <laughs> uh, let's move on. Mr. Jimmy Vreeland, what you got for us? Hey, how you doing? Jimmy Vreeland from St. Louis, Missouri. I run Cashflow Tactics, where we teach the passive investor how to acquire assets. And uh, we turn uh, mostly out of St. Louis, Missouri. Awesome. And uh, next would be Chris Jefferson, but I I don't see Chris with us any longer. (laughs) I'll go ahead and introduce Chris Jefferson. Uh, He is a a self-proclaimed real estate investor. None of us actually know if that's true or not. Uh, he's based out of Richmond, Virginia. He runs an education program called the U. Um, we're waiting on the University of Miami to sue him for a copyright infringement. And uh, outside of that, I don't know anything else about Chris Jefferson. Does anybody else want to say something about him? No. Does he do, does he do deals he or, or he just teaches people to do deals? Yeah, we, we don't know, Jimmy. We're going to find out that. Oh, there he is. There's Mr. Chris Jefferson. Hey, CJ, appreciate you being on time. I just introduced you. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> say anything about yourself before we get going? Like when you you become the host, you 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 sabotage my my camera. Uh, so I'm I'm audio only at the moment, but I'll be in shortly. I'll be okay. In. Sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to move on with our first question, and that is, as a leader, how do you differentiate failures from being due to an employee's poor performance or you not providing the necessary resources to succeed? Leon, what you got for us? So when I first started as a manager way back, way back when, Um, I would blame my people a lot for their failures. And what I've found over the last 20 years of leading people, leading teams, uh, being part of teams, is that if you give people proper onboarding process, a proper playbook, and ongoing training, it's easy to differentiate if someone, you've given them everything that you need to give them to be successful. And if they're not, it's on them. If you have done all of those things and you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I've given them everything that I possibly can give them, a proper process, they know exactly what they should be doing and how to do it in continual training, it's on them. It's as simple as that. All right, Eric, what do you have? Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy one. Um, And a lot of people struggle with it, though. Is it me? Is it them? Do they not have training? Have they been here long enough? Um, there's a statistic out there that says that 70% of the time when an employee is not producing, it's one of two things. They have unclear expectations. And you might say, well, Jimmy, when they started seven months ago, I told them what was required of them. It's not enough. There has to be a, a cadence of accountability where people are reminded um, almost daily what the expectations are. The second thing that contributes to 70% of people not producing is they don't have the right training and resources to do the job. So maybe they're clear on the expectations. They just don't have the tools that they need to be able to do it. It's very seldom the fact that the person isn't capable or doesn't want to. Most people that show up for work want to succeed. Nobody wants to lose, uh, except for Chris, because he just keeps coming back, taking a beating week in and week out. But for the most part, employees want to win. So um, it's, it's got to start. We, we have to be able to eliminate the, those two things for certain aren't the case before we can consider that's an employee issue. All right, Jimmy, how about you? I'm um, going to kind of follow up with the same stuff. I think you got to give people clear targets, clear expectations of what they show up to work to do. Uh, a daily success formula, like what are the actions they have to take each and every day in order to hit those targets, those expectations, and then the most painful part about it is giving them the rapid feedback, giving them the, hey, you're hitting the target. You're not hitting the target. Here's where you're missing. Here's where you're not missing. Uh, it's uh, it's personally my least favorite part. Gotcha. Uh, CJ, do you know what we're doing here? Do you know the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. But as our uh, you know fearless leader today, uh, why don't why don't you fill the gap? Why don't you help me? <laughs> uh, as a leader, how do you differentiate failures from being due to an employee's poor performance? Or are you not providing the necessary resources? Uh, I think uh, I think any failure in your company, whether it's employee or whatever the case might be, is it's you. I mean, as as the leader, we got to take responsibility at all points for what happens in our companies. If somebody, you know, I had an issue a couple months or a month and a half ago. Uh, my sales manager, it was a problem we had we ran into. At the end of the day, 
it was my fault because we could have been doing an audit sooner and anticipated the issue. So you just, you fail forward at all times. All right, let's open it up for the debate there. So I think we're all saying a lot of the same things of once someone is on board, right? We're making sure that we're giving them what Jimmy was looking for. There's that nice, robust dialogue of saying, look, you know, we've done all these things for you and we, you haven't uh, performed at the highest level. But I think one other thing to Chris's point about we failed, we're talking about after they joined us, you know, out of the gates, we're hiring them because we believe that they can do the job and hopefully based upon some type of personality set, an assessment of some sort. So it's also you, you win on these when you're hiring the right person based upon the work that you're doing before you bring them on as well. But I mean, that the rapid- by the way, in the chat, if you haven't seen the chat, um, CJ's new nickname is Eddie Blurry. The picture quality, his camera, his new nickname is Eddie Blurry. Uh, I just, I just, I just uh, uh, no, it's legendary status, man. I just switched it around for you guys. It, it, his it, audio is so clear. Much and much better. The audio the is amazing. Brewer is, is, is yeah. tough, man. When you got a smile like this. Sometimes the cameraman, yeah. it breaks on you, man. Sometimes it just, it can't handle it. I like it. it. Handle it. It's the melanin, baby. It. It's the melanin. It. All right. So do we have any yeah. other debate as far as the topic goes? I would say this, like, how do you know you're hiring the right person? Everybody says like, hire the right person, hire the right person. Does anybody have any insight as to how you know that you're hiring the right person? How the first 90, day, 90 days go? Like you're gonna know if they're I mean, core value. That point, already made, if we, but if we don't know till day eighty nine that we hired the right person, that's a that's a that's a dangerous proposition. Like, Everybody on you, this call real estate should know what Eric, a hire. You, when is the? Sorry, I I kept interrupting. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? For you, like, when does the trial period end? When are you like, all right, this person is definitely <clears throat> part of the team? I think really the trial period should be as close to the hiring process as possible, not the onboarding process. Your hiring process should resemble your onboarding process. To bring somebody into an organization and try and figure out in month one, two, or three if they're a good fit um, is, is very distracting. It wastes a ton of time. Um, you should have, it takes on average in, in our company, at least four interviews to get hired. Okay. So after this, riveting debate here here's what i'm going to say um eric decided to change the question and he was going to win until he changed the question so he loses jimmy took the bait so he loses cj was just absent so leon you're the winner on question my default i'll take the default but who's responsible for the questions because that was somewhat of a vanilla boring question like it's not going to create a great debate all right well here here you go jimmy here's question number two okay if you were in charge of the Nets front office, how would you have handled Kyrie Irving's trade to the Dallas Mavericks? You mean like not Leon, trading him? Jimmy, Jimmy, you lost. You don't get to go first. Leon gets to go first. It's uh, not a clear hey, question, Lee. though. <laughs> hey, hey, Jimmy, uh, know your role. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so – I would have handled the exact same way. We've been talking about this this guy for months now. As a player, being a distraction to the team, 
I would have done the exact same thing. Your job as a general manager, or let's relate it back to your business as a real estate investor, your job is to do what's best for the organization. And the best thing to do for that organization was to move on from Kyrie, who's been a distraction since he's been there. And it was pretty clear that number one, they did not want to sign him long-term, which I don't blame them. And they did what's best for the organization. I would not have handled it any different. All right, Jimmy, since you were so eager to, to answer this, your turn. I really wasn't eager to answer. I, I was eager to clarify the question. If, if you were in charge of the Brooklyn Nets front office, how would you have handled Kyrie Irving and the trade to the Dallas Mavericks? I probably would have traded them like last year, like to start the year. I, I think it was pretty clear by the end of last year it wasn't going to work out. All right. Riveting answer. Appreciate that. Eric, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to call you guys out for being hypocrites. If you refer back to the first question, it said if someone's not performing or if there's an issue, who's at fault? And we all said the leader, it's your responsibility. But all of a sudden, Kyrie's got a problem and we ship his ass out. That's a, that's a terrible response. The real answer is there's a leadership issue there. They had three stars there, three Hall of Famers. All three basically demanded to leave. And by the way, it, at first we thought Harden was the problem. He's gone. KD and Kyrie still unhappy. Kyrie leaves. KD's unhappy. There's a problem in leadership in Brooklyn. It's not Kyrie's problem. There's a front office problem. The first thing that should be done is the front office should be wiped out. And, and that's the first thing they've got to do. There's a leadership issue there, not a Kyrie or KD issue. CJ, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? I, I agree with Brewer, man. I mean, you've got a terrible front office. You've got three guys that were on this team that were superstars uh, that, quite frankly, were never able to lead rosters individually on their own as team leaders, and I love all three of those players. Uh, but I, where I think this was mishandled is, you know, there was a, a, a comment that came out that the owner was intentional about not putting Kyrie where he wanted to go. And I think in business, when you, when you do fail and you have to kind of eat those failures, it's not about the optics and what it looks like or, or trying to punish somebody uh, through business. It's about doing what's best still for the business. So he's still really showing terrible leadership by not getting the best assets possible in return for Kyrie who, you know, is still a player that people are going to pick up at the end of the day. So I think there was a grave mistake there, and I think it all comes back to leadership. <clears throat> so I will agree that they made some bad choices in that front office, but here's where I differ from Eric and Chris. They took their shot with a big three to win a championship. They felt like that was the best thing for that organization at the time. Their, their issue front office level was going after a player that clearly has not done well to get along in a team setting for all the teams that he's played for. He's been shipped off from every team that he has played for and clearly hasn't worked in a team's environment with the exception of one championship that he won early, early on. So Just if there's a, yes, Just but what has he done? What have you done for me lately, Eddie? What have you done lately? He hasn't done anything but cause disruption in a team. So you're right. There is some responsibility at the highest level. But at the end of the day, this player or this employee, if you hired someone that you were told that you check their references, Eric, Chris, you check their references and two different or multiple people, organizations told you, you know, very talented, but has been a distraction to our team. Would you hire him? Yeah, I think 
Maybe you do, I, maybe, yeah, maybe you don't. Source. Yeah, I think maybe you do, maybe you don't, because everybody's got a different ability to coach somebody up, you know, get the best out of somebody, whatever the case might be. But I think in Kyrie's part, Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, all Hall of Fame players, like Eric said, phenomenally great players, like living legends. But at the end of the day, they have not been able to show and prove at any point on any team, either any of these three guys, that they individually could stand out and lead from the front. And when I mean lean from the front, I mean like a LeBron, like a Steph Curry, like a Kobe, some of these other players that we've seen over time that can lead other superstars on their team. None of them had the ability to do that, and that's why that team caved, and that's why they're at where they're at right now. Well, I think I, you per I personally hate the whole NBA, like hire three all-stars, get three all-stars, and that'll get us to a championship. Like it always <laughs> ends like this. They're always infighting. They're o I, I agree with CJ. Unless there's a clear leader, like – the clear leader and then the two guys supporting. I'm thinking like the Miami Heat, like 10 years ago, there was clear leader, two guys supporting. That actually works. But the hiring the three all-stars never works. And I was the leader of, of that three. You're right. Uh, he was. Um, yeah. but, but he could also take – he, could, if he didn't, if, he didn't if have to be the, the show all the time. He could take a back seat because he was the leader. And Katie, but Katie's also proven privately and, and publicly, right, in interviews, tweets, different things, to be emotional in his leadership. And there becomes great difficulty as a leader if you act based on your emotions and not based on logic. And I think we, we've definitely seen that from Kevin Durant. One, one, one last thing. Last thought, Leon. Yeah, one last thing here. We as leaders of our organizations, sports aside, but let's conclude that in this because that was part of the question. We can recognize that we make mistakes, right? But we also have to fix and correct those mistakes. And this was the Nets correcting what they feel like they gave it a shot and it was a mistake and now they've moved on. And I think they're going to be better long-term because of it, because of the assets that they were able to uh, receive. We've all made bad decisions um, in leadership and we have to, it's our job to correct them to do what's best for the team. So after hearing, all, I thought everyone brought up really good points. Leon, I thought you you did a, a you brought up a really good point there um, about the the fact that listen, all of these these guys are, are Hall of Fame players. They're they're great players. KD, Kyrie, they've won championships elsewhere. I think the point being is we just learned that none of them could take that leadership position like LeBron and Steph have done in the past to win those championships. And so for that, I think Eric brought up the greatest point there. So Eric wins this round um, with bringing up the fact that they're all Hall of Fame players, and it really it it's the Brooklyn Nets front office as to why they didn't have success. Uh, question number three: In a high stakes business situation like the Super Bowl, which is coming up this weekend, how would you prepare yourself to win, Eric? Man, that's a good question. I, I think it's, you know, I, for me, anytime I prepare for a, a big opportunity, I train, right? So like, if you think about whether it's a, a big appointment um, with a seller, um, an opportunity with a buyer, um, you're meeting with a private money lender, you have to be prepared. Uh, I came from the military and there was a saying there that's stuck with me for a long time that says, um, you know, proper planning prevents poor performance. So I think a big thing that you have to do, and that's why they give them, by the way, this two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl. You have to know your opponent. Um, too often I've seen people try and drastically change their game plan 
to, to adjust to an opponent rather than sticking with what got you there. So I would stick to the basics and be prepared. And part of that preparation means um, being familiar with the tendency of your opponent. CJ, how would you prepare to win? You prepare how you got there, man. I mean, you're talking about guys on each on each team that have worked their entire lives since they were Pop Warner through college, high school, uh, in the NFL, whatever their journey was at that point, to get to the most pivotal moment in their lives, which is playing for a national championship. And I think you keep working on what got you there. I think uh, this morning, by matter of fact, I watched on Hulu uh, the Atlanta Falcons uh, Patriots game and that and that comeback. I watched it this morning, 21-0 or 21-3 at half. Uh, and Tom Brady came out and you look in his eyes, man, and he looked exactly how he looked every single time, every single game, just fully locked in, fully ready to go. Uh, and I think you just continue to build on those things because that's why you're there in the first place. You don't ever make that moment too big. That's where that pressure starts to cave in and you don't perform well. That's why they talk about veteran leadership, veteran experience with these type of games. Jimmy, how about you? How would, how would you prepare yourself to win? I think I would probably take two weeks off. Maybe spend a week of that in Vegas. I would do the exact opposite of everything that got me there. And then I would create a podcast where clearly the four guys are going to have to give the same answer because there's clearly one answer. You double down on the disciplines that got you in the game. Okay. Leon, how about you? So I took a different angle with this in not just sports. I think this in life, I think everyone in this room um, is talented, right? Um, but I think all of us got to where we are because we doubled down, as Jimmy said, on the things that made us successful, hard work and effort and all those things. But I also feel like the people that are on this show, they're always informative with their opinions. Why is that? Because they do their homework. They're studying. Uh, Eric uh, gives me crap because uh, I know a bunch of useless knowledge. Typically, that's useless knowledge was used for something at some point. So being informed, I think that same thing comes on the on the playing field as well. Knowing your opponents, you do what you do to get there, but you also need to know your opponent, opponents. And in business, like if you're preparing for a big sales meeting or things of that nature, you want to be the most informed person in the room. In my opinion, that's the person that wins. Any debate on this topic? So, Leon, what was your actual answer? I'm sorry, you lost me there in the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Can you clarify well, a little bit about? Sure. As long as you can clarify that your answer was, how do you prepare? And you said, I'm prepared. That was your answer. I prepared. That was your the answer. last word in your response. answer was prepared. So that's what I'm no, trying to understand. It was what informed. Oh, okay. Got it. Informed, not prepared. So the most informed, the guy that has the most information wins. We're assuming if you're a high-level athlete or in a high-level business person that you're going to do all the things that have made you successful. If I am a oh. wide receiver against a DB that I've never played before, I want to know his tendencies so I can beat him off the ball, so yeah. I can beat him down the field. Informed, information, data. Now, I disagree I, with that I, I completely. It. Yeah, it's, not, I, it's not the most informed. It's the person who can perform their best in the highest-stakes situation. Right, if, yeah, I, CJ just retired in, in mid the court. <laughs> are we? Are we on? Are we yeah, back? You're, you're back, CJ. You're yeah, yeah, we're here. All right, cool. So I agree with what Jimmy said, but to to what Leon's saying, 
when you look at greatness, when you look at the elite players, they, they don't have to curtail their game to the defender. The defender has to curtail their game to them. And so if you're playing in a Super Bowl and I'm an elite player, a superstar player, man, you're, you want to make people have to work to have to watch film and defend against you and figure out those things about you, uh, not necessarily be in that position. And, and I think you carry that in business. I think when we talk about competition in business, when I think about my own competition, I'm not worried about anybody else other than myself. I'm not having to worry about what everybody else is doing. I'm making people have to react to me. Okay, well, this is this is over. This is Leon wins hands down. Okay, uh, y'all y'all are dead wrong, and I, I'll just use a perfect example of this uh, Super Bowl winning moment: New England Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks. The New England Patriots yeah, knew the tendencies; they were informed. They knew that pass was going on the slant at the goal line before the play was run, and that's why they won that Super Bowl. Leon, you decimated your competition on this one. Congratulations. Yeah, now, but if that kid didn't catch the ball, they don't win. Like, is, the kid has to mute, execute on the play. Can we yeah, move to that negative one now? But that is such a boring <laughs> answer. Oh, I'm the most informed. I'm going to be the most successful business person. That's crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah information means nothing like, without yeah, i love you that's the worst winning answer i've heard on this show wow well nice. uh, apparently not according to uh, rj uh, leon with that dominating answer i i now have to turn over to uh our sponsor who dominates the hard money lending space okay so with capital thinning in today's market it's crucial for real estate investors to build relationships with reliable lenders to access the capital they need. And that's where Kiabi comes in. And I listen, I could finish the rest of the script like we've done eight weeks in a row, but I'm just going to use a personal example. I've got three deals that we've wholesaled that are closing right now with Kiabi. It's been a seamless uh, transaction. And in fact, we actually had a couple of issues come up with the title companies. Kiabi was able to come in, clear up the issues. Uh, they've been great to work with as a wholesaler, wholesaling a deal to an end buyer. So I personally recommend Kiabi just from the aspect of how easy they've been for us to work with. To learn more about them, go to kiabi.com backslash real estate disruptors. Yes, kiabi.com backslash real estate disruptors to learn more and download your pre-qualification letter in minutes. All right, let's move on to our fourth question here. Like LeBron James breaking the NBA scoring record, what achievement do few in the real estate space ever achieve? Leon. Uh, before I get started, well done on the read. Best best yet. Congrats. Well done. Are you kidding me? Oh, God. Just, I mean, that more. was a little just, better just, than Matt. You, I'm like, I, I just woke kidding. up. For my nap, RJ. Great ad. If you can't this tell, is... Leon's left hand is under RJ's desk right now. Fucking <laughs> one out for votes. Holy moly! Here's. Can I have see, my time? There we can go. There we go. Yeah. All right, yeah. RJ. RJ, uh, ask that question one more time so we yeah. can reset. So yeah, reset on question right. number four here. Like LeBron James breaking the NBA scoring record, what achievement do few in the real estate space ever achieve? True freedom. People get in this business for two things, to make a lot of money and have flexibility and freedom. 
And rarely do I see people get to that point. And freedom, scale, freedom means something different to everyone. But most people that want to get whatever they define as freedom within their real estate investing business, they don't achieve. And a lot of that's because they're stuck as an employee within their business. True freedom is the true answer. Eric, what about you? Uh, the most informed is the answer. <laughs> most informed. No, <laughs> that was for you, Jimmy. By the Thank way, you. Leon, hands where we can see them at all times. So here, here's what, to, to Leon's point, but much better put, people come in as a high producing individual. They start in real estate, they're out doing deals, they're, they're, they're the buyer, they're selling the project, and they should eventually hire a few people and they need to become a contributing team member. Third level of business is you get to be a competent manager where you're able to leverage your experience and have other people doing a large portion of the work you used to have to do. The elusive part most people can't quite ever get to is this owner's box, right? Which to Leon's point is freedom. There's, I know plenty of people that make $10 million a year have zero freedom. Uh, quite frankly, a lot of those people have far less freedom than people that you know make a fraction of the money. So it's the ability to actually have a business that runs without you, which I believe is the freedom that, that Leon was referring to. Okay, Jimmy. I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle on this one. I think um, getting a flipping or a wholesaling company so systematized and so good that you could sell it to someone else. Uh, I know a few people who can do that, but it's very, very, very hard to actually sell a wholesaling or flipping business to an outside investor. All right. What about you, CJ? Uh, it's the combination of Jimmy and Eric's answer. An actual tangible business, a real asset. Uh, we operate small businesses and micro small businesses. A real true business is a business that can function without the daily input and need of the actual owner. You know, companies that have actual CEOs and, and, and C-suites and different things. Uh, I think that's the real pinnacle. We have a lot of those businesses that are in real estate, but we tend to see those as the developers, right? Who own large numbers of doors and things of that nature. Uh, and so I think that's the, you know, the place that we all eventually want to hope to get to at some point uh, is where you've got a business that's got board of directors. If you pass away, even if your children don't want to take over your business, it doesn't matter because the business can function and run for itself. That's real generation. And he's out. <laughs> Any debate on this topic? What's no, that? No, no debate on this topic. All right. Well, if that's the case, uh, I'm going to give this to Jimmy because I, I think Jimmy actually gave a, a tangible answer, there, which is getting a business to the position where it can actually be sold. Um, I, I think we we all know people getting to a position where they claim that they have the freedom to not be in the business anymore. But then that business is not where it needs to be two years from now. To Jimmy's point, to get into the point where you can actually sell it because you actually have systems and processes in place, that's a whole nother level. So Jimmy gets the point on this one. Now, question number five. In the spirit of the State of the Union address, hold your political thoughts. What is the state of the real estate market right now? Jimmy. I think it's uh, heating up a little bit, at least in the... The Midwest, I think we're going to go through our regular quarter two uh, hot streak. Um, 
last time I was on the show, you know, Matt's a realtor. He was talking about it. Uh, the buyers don't care. All they care about is their monthly payment. Eric continues to hammer on the fact that this is might be the only time in the next two years for FHA and VA buyers to buy. But uh, I think the market has absorbed the shock of uh, the rate hikes from uh, last spring and into the fall and whatnot. Jay, CJ, what's the state of the real estate market? I think the market right now is stable. I think there's a couple of variables that could impact it long term, though. Uh, and the main one being consumer credit card debt. I mean, if you look at those stats, uh, ever since the pandemic, when we had a bunch of unemployment money that was going out, stimulus checks that were going out, uh, credit was very loose in the last two to three years. You've got a ton of people, if you look at the charts, that are severely overextended in terms of credit. Uh, so I think that could potentially have some back and impact for sure. Uh, but as of right now, the market seems pretty stable. You know, it seems to have dropped where it's going to drop at. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think you got to keep very tight 60, 90 day perspectives and windows on your business. But uh, yeah, it seems to be running pretty strong. Okay. So just to clarify, so I can judge appropriately, sure. are we stable or is credit card debt about to just kill it? We're stable, but we don't know what's going to happen with credit card debt yet right now. So we have to look at it from what's happening right this second, right? I'm, so I'm just day- trying to help you since I haven't given you a point. That's all. Leon. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I would lean more towards unstable. And here's why. Finally, a question we're going to debate about. Q3 and Q4 for most real estate investors were tough. I have tons of investors in this CG community that took December basically off. Didn't try to, but didn't do any deals in December. Um, So Q3 and Q4 were tough. Q1, we're starting to see that there's an uptick. Uh, To Chris's point, 51%, 51%, oh, it's 28% of debt, I mean, of credit card debt, it's up 28% from last year. In addition to that, 51% of those that make six figures are living check to check in our, in, as Americans. You, you put those numbers together, I still think that we're not, we haven't seen the bottom of this market. So I would say that right now we're still unstable. It's looking better, but I don't think we're out of the woods. Proceed with caution. Eric, what about you? What's the state of the real estate market? Um, I mean, you know, I think it's very localized. Um, so I'll speak just from the level of experience I have locally. It's extremely stable. You know, and it depends whether you're talking to a real estate agent or investor. Um, it's gotten easier for me to buy deals. There's less competition. So from that perspective, for me, it's stable. Uh, it got really hard in Q4 to sell stuff. People were a little bit freaked out about the you know rapid change in interest rates and kind of paused for a second. But as they saw them go up, I don't know if you've been paying attention. Leon said it was 28, then it was 54%. I'm going to give you an exact number that doesn't double in the matter of three seconds. Mortgage, mortgage applications were up 28% in a day when interest rates came down and, and actually got below 6% for the first time. In my area, it's extremely stable. So I think it's very, very localized. That could be much different than what you're seeing in Phoenix, Arizona, or Southern California, or Wichita, um, where no one lives uh, other than Leon's tenants. So in my market, it's extremely stable. All right, open it up. So, So we have clearly found out that Eric has a hearing problem because I know he's getting older. So I'm gonna say this slower for you, Gramps. It was 51% of Americans making six figures are living check to check. 
and it was 28% increase of credit card debt from one year to the next. Got it, Grandpa? Great uh, example of the most informed guy does not win. What the hell does that mean? I'm talking about actual houses and buyers and sellers. And who pays for a house with their credit card? Some First some people, all. some people, because people look at credit cards every day. But I, look, here, here, just real quick, right? I, I want to be clear. I think the market is stable today, but I do think there's tons of variables that are at play that we don't know what those impacts will be yet. You guys, the so question many people, was, what is it today? It's state I mean, of the union, not the forecast. But I think I think part of the state of the union at any point is addressing what things are today and what things could absolutely be it as is well, right. And so what you also have is you have a lot of people who just did not pay their mortgages during COVID point blank, right? They didn't make payments during COVID. They took COVID relief opportunities on their mortgages. And you're going to have increasing defaults over here in the next 12 to 24 months because people are going to start missing these payments without the realization that if they do default on their mortgage prior to foreclosure, they're going to owe all that money that was back ended from COVID relief. And I think we're going to start to see some impact from that as well. But, but in, you know. increase from what? Like, like the Zero. problem with your information, Leon, is for the credit card debts increased from 2022. Yeah, when everybody was getting government free cash, of course, gov like, of course, uh, foreclosures are going to go up 300%. But there was like zero foreclosures. So three foreclosures means it's up 300%. If you're comparing percentage based off 2020, 2021, and 2022, you're going to get bad information like i've been asking everybody like i'll pay attention to this economy when it's worse than 2019 and it just <clears throat> if everybody comp uh compares everything to 2022 they're gonna be chronically unhappy but you guys so are really arguing saying, a point as yeah, if you're arguing a point all that stuff is, is that you you would anticipate a flood of foreclosures that's what you're talking about right and and how that would potentially contribute to an unstable market show me a market where there's half as many foreclosures, share of sales and short sales as there was in 2019. It doesn't exist. Like I, Eric, so would you, pref would you prefer, what did you prefer? There was that amount of share of sales and foreclosures like in 2019. It would make the, the job easier. It, but you guys are arguing as if we said that, and, and, and even though CJ said it's stable currently, you're arguing as if we said that the bottom's going to fall out tomorrow because of those statistics. We're just saying be, proceed with caution. That was my entire answer is that it's unstable. I'm not saying it's going to drop off the, the cliff tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think we should. You can tell Leon has a background in, 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 in media, right? He's, he's painting doom and gloom. It's, it's credit card debts. 54% of people that make six figures have, have high revolving credit. It's like he might as well work for CNN, right? You're trying to, to scare people into something that is maybe going to happen, possibly happen. But the reality is, is the state of the union right now is not happening. There's no flood of foreclosures anywhere. The danger is when you don't say that, though, then people will get six month and 12 month hard money loans. And it's their first fix and flip. It's their first rental. They're not Eric Brewer. They're not Jimmy. All right. And so they go out and they do these deals because Eric Brewer told them that, hey, the market's good. Jimmy said, hey, I'm not worried about it right now. Then they go out these loans and you go through these different things and there is market impact. And then what happens to those people, right? They don't have the ability to work through a market cycle in the same exact way that you might have. And so I think they learn. I think what Leon and I are saying is realistically, if you can keep a short 60, 90 day window perspective on your business and the strategies that you're implementing your business, that'll provide you some security against any of these variables that could take place. If you got, if you got exit runway and something catastrophic black swan event happens in the marketplace today, 
and you can exit out in 60 days, do you think that's not a better position to be in than if it took you six to 12 months? But name a, well I agree, but the name a part is, of the market cycle. All that information, there's just as much risk that you'll convince somebody to not do anything. So you can argue which one's thought. worse, to never take a chance and, and miss out. Like all the people when rates went up, it was, uh, we better not buy, right? I better not buy. Well, now as these rates start to come back down, for the people that took a chance and bought a property, say, four to six months ago, and if these rates to continue to come down and they hit, say, high fives, it's going to work out to their advantage, right? So I think to your point, CJ, I think there's a, a you know, you got to be careful. But we also got to be careful that we give them too much bad information and talk them out of ever taking a chance. Jimmy, final thoughts. Like, CJ, I agree with what you're saying, but that attitude you need to have at any part of the market cycle. Like, you need to always be thinking contingency plans, always staying liquid in case a black swan event occurs and always trying to get flips off your balance sheet as fast as possible. All right, RJ, I promise, last point. To what, to what Leon said earlier, the people that are having the largest problems in business right now, straight up, are the people that were in large metro markets that overexpanded extremely big, all right, in 2020 and 2021, they built out large teams. They built out large payrolls. And what are they having to do right now, Jimmy? I'm sure y'all have some of these people in your group. All right, this is the reality of what the state of the market is right now. Those are the people that are having problems. And so all I'm saying is any business, yes, you should be doing that at all times. But, Jimmy, if we can just be straightforward, not everybody's going to do that because greed is the reality of business as well. And so you have all these people that, yes, they know that that's the principle. Hey, you should always be a, a, a hedging risk in your business. You should always be aware of what you're doing, but people are greedy. So people went and ran as far as they could. And now they're dealing with the effects of that. Yeah. Nobody's saying going out and pretend it's like 2021 again. And you know, you're going to get, the market's going to save you from everything you're going to do. I don't think me and Eric are saying that at all, but we're also not saying, Hey, it's time to turtle up and see, sit in the fetal position. Like it, <laughs> like it was when it hit, interest rates hit 8%. Hey, I don't, I don't know anybody shutting businesses down. Y'all said that. I don't know those people. All right. Know. All right. All right. Let, let's wrap this one up. I've got another decisive winner here. What? Well, I'm going to thank you in advance for the point, RJ. So I'll take that round. <laughs> All right. One thing I've learned about this debate, Chris Jefferson has a future in politics. His answer was he took neither side, and then somehow when he heard the best answer, he jumped on board. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> future in politics. Uh, we appreciate you giving us the state of York, Pennsylvania's real estate market, but that was not the question. So it's qualified. Really, this came down to Jimmy and Leon. Um, and, and just to be honest with you, I lean more towards Leon's answer. So, Leon. That's crap, dude. I was clearly the most informed on that answer. How can I not win? I, Here's my hands. I All you got to do is be most informed. You'll win your whole life. Leon was the most informed. He gave us this stat. <laughs> 51% of people, six-figure earners. He gave us some Cliff Clavin stat that he pulled out of his ass. Like, how do I know it's 50? I know it's not 54%. I, source I, check, source I, check, source I, check. How informed he was and prepared. Okay, final question. This came from the, the, the audience. If you were to build a video game character of the perfect real estate investor, what would be their top top attributes? Leon. Oh my gosh. Video game. Um, wow. So 
I'm a little older. Do you older know what a video than, game is, Leon? That's what I was just going to say. I'm a little <laughs> older, and I haven't played video yeah. games for a while. So I'll give you my favorite video character and see if there's some attributes I can pull from this particular one. So some of you may be too young for this game. Uh, others not, because I would have um, wiped the floor with Eric on this game. This game was called Tech Mobile. And on Tech Mobile, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was one player. There was one player that was better than everyone he was smarter he was faster you could run up and down the field multiple times with him and no one would ever catch him that was bo jackson with the raiders so if i were building a real estate investor based upon uh, a, a a video game character i would want the best person in the game bo jackson all right uh we're gonna throw this over to cj but before i throw it over to cj i just want to say this is how politicians are successful. The chat's blowing up saying they would have given that last answer to CJ. And he literally flip-flopped 17 times. Hey, listen, man. Listen, RJ, RJ. RJ, I'm going to hit you on the back channel, man. It's the reason we're the biggest at the U, man. But look, let me answer your question for you, all right? So if I was a video game, I don't know about character, but like in Madden, for example, all right? Any game, really. It's really awareness, situational awareness, awareness. You got to have awareness at all times. I think you got to have awareness in business uh, so you don't make decisions necessarily like Jimmy uh, and Eric and you just buy everything without paying attention to what's going on in the market and looking at actual data. Uh, so shout out to those guys. All right. But yeah, awareness for sure. man. Jimmy, what about you? What attributes would you give to your uh, real estate investor video game character? So you're talking like when you're creating, uh, like when you play the show and you get like, yeah. oh, it would only be one metric, ability to be informed. And as long as it was a 10, I know I'll crush <laughs> in that game. <laughs> Eric, your turn. Uh, I think there's two things, strength and discipline. Um, CJ and uh, Leon apparently didn't read the question. They said who player would be, no attributes. And I, I, RJ's really big on answering the question. The two most important attributes to me would be strength and discipline. That's it. You mean physical strength? What kind of strength? Exactly. It, it shows up in plenty of different applications. You mean like mental they, strength, you want, physical strength? You want this investor to be able to like bench 300 pounds or? Yeah. What do you want them to squat? <laughs> <laughs> Over your face and teabag you for about 20 minutes a day. In the morning. <laughs> Eric, come That's on. It's a family show. This was a hell of a round here. Um, yes. yes. Seeing as this is the last round, and, and I'm the, the, the judge and the host, and I don't know if they're ever going to allow me to do this again. Um, I, here's how I'm going to rule this. Uh, Leon was the most informed today, and that's why he won three of the, the six questions. Uh, Eric came in with some, some zingers there at the end. Uh, so I'm going to give Eric two points here to tie Leon. CJ's getting shut out because he just phoned it in this week. But, Jimmy, you're getting four points for this last round for being the biggest smartass ever on Pardon the Disruption. And I didn't think anyone could surpass me. So the winner today is Jimmy Vreeland. Yes! Over Leon Barnes. Wow. I appreciate that, RJ. You're a great I'm American. Wrong.
I can do whatever I want today. And that's how it played out. So, Jimmy, <laughs> throw, throw us out. How, how, how would you like to sign off? Well, hold on. Let me get a pick so I can put this on my social. There you go. About my big win. Oh, there we go. Uh, I just want to – I'll end it this way. Hey, information's the key to success. Not hard work, not grit, not determination, not the ability to close, not the ability to have a silver tongue and run your mouth and, and make things happen. You know, just make sure you're most informed. Stay in a library all day, and that's your key to success. <laughs> CJ, are you okay, bro? Would you like to sign off? I don't, I don't know if you even participated today. How would you like to sign hey, off? Hey, listen, man. As long as the people crown me, I'm fine. Uh, CJ, as long as your video can go through your sign off, that that'll be a success for today. And, and and I and I hope it, bro. I hope it can. I hope it can. One day I'm gonna make a lot of money like you, gentlemen, and I'll, I'll buy fancy equipment. You know, I'll have my hair slicked up really nice with beautiful gel, unless I'm like Eric. And and look. Shout out, shout out to the UFAM. It's always fun to hang out with y'all in all seriousness. RJ, terrible job today as a judge, but I didn't expect to be less. Uh, good to see everybody else. I'll see y'all tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, starflippingdeals.com. You know the vibes. Honestly, CJ, I had to be real with you, man. I told Steve yesterday when he called me, I said, there's nothing CJ can say tomorrow. That's gonna be really funny. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I had all the best answers today. It's the Tom Brady rule, man. It's the Tom Brady rule. It is. I, I Tom Brady to you today. So It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Eric, you really had no excuses. You just didn't give any good answers. So, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did my best, and my best wasn't good enough. I actually really enjoyed – listening to Jimmy today. Um, I like the, 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 the spice that he brought to the sarcasm. RJ, I think you did a good job today. Uh, we'll have to talk about in the group chat, whether or not Potter comes back. <laughs> um, he fumbles around a little bit. I think you're a better host than you are guest respectfully. Um, and, uh, I'm just going to go like Jimmy said and take his advice and just go absorb a bunch of information so that I can be successful. So can't wait for next week. I'm going to come with a bunch of info. <laughs> Leon, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. This was by far your, your best performance. I appreciated each and every one of your answers. I'm sorry I had to give you the Vreeland treatment there at the end, but uh, how would you like to sign off? Brother, I was just going to say right before that vote, that last vote, I was going to say this, you need to be the permanent host, but it's very hard for me to stamp you for that when I know you don't know how to add. Your <laughs> math is off and it really worries me about your real estate investing career, my friend. I'm truly worried for you. Yeah, I did the math like a typical wholesaler does, and it worked out. <laughs> <in my head. laughs> All right, now now you got it. You're ready. <laughs> well, I had a, a blast today. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for everyone uh, tuning in to pardon the disruption. I'm RJ Bates III. Uh, and tune in next Thursday. Hopefully, I get to go back on the guest panel because, honestly, the hardest part of today was having to listen to y'all's terrible answers and not give the correct answer the entire time. But outside of that, it was a blast. Looking forward to having Mr. Steve Train back and Mr. Potter back next week. Thank you, guys. See you, guys. See you guys.